Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The biggest breaking news stories. An outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley-Brewer on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. It's Wednesday the 26th of April. You're watching Talk TV with me, Julia Hartley-Brewer, on Breakfast. Coming up, the first flight carrying British nationals from Sudan has arrived in Cyprus with more planes due to leave this morning. Meanwhile, the Bank of England chief economist has said that Britons must accept that they're worse off and stop asking for more pay. Easy to say when you're on £190,000 a year, don't you think? And US President Joe Biden has announced that he will run for re-election in 2024, setting the stage for a potential rematch with Donald Trump. God help us all. The time right now is 6.33. This is Talk Breakfast. Well, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Lots to talk about. Yeah, a lot going on with Sudan, of course, but also a lot more going on here at home as well. Extraordinary words from that uh, chief economist at the Bank of England. I mean, bearing in mind, his boss, the Bank of England governor, didn't when he was at the select committee, didn't even know what he earned when he was asked. Over half a million, by the way, in case you were wondering. Uh, but also, of course, going to be talking to the Home Secretary, Swella Bravman. She's going to be on the show a little bit later, uh, talking about the illegal migration bill and whether or not the uh, government has or has not hit their target of hiring an extra 20,000 police officers. Given that the Home Secretary is on a round about that, I've got a funny feeling they probably have uh, on some technicality of some sort. Uh, we'll be talking about all of that, uh, plus plenty more besides, including um, almost three million food parcels handed out by the Trussell Trust in the last year, including one million to children uh, and also a Nicholas Sturgeon speaking for the very first time about uh, the SNP police investigation. I think the fair summary is always, I know nothing. I know nothing. 6.34 is the time. Um, so delighted this morning and a very auspicious timing as well uh, to welcome to the studio someone you'll have heard so many times on the show. Great to actually get him in the studio. Uh, Chris Parry, former NATO and Naval Commander, Rear Admiral Chris Parry, no less, in the studio with us. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. I can't think of a better day uh, to have someone who, I don't know, knows what he's talking about when it comes to a military operation as opposed to the expert armchair general that I am, obviously, uh, to talk about what's been going on uh, with Sudan. Um, 
Let's get a little update on, on where we are uh, on this because the latest flights carrying British nationals are expected to arrive in Cyprus early this morning. UK troops are also preparing to take over the running of the airfield that is near Khartoum. This is the airfield that was used by the diplomats to uh, escape in the early hours of Sunday morning. Uh, that was used for the th- three planes which are due to have left uh, by this morning. One has already landed in Cyprus. Um, depending on which kind of plane it is, it's a three to five hour journey. Um, uh, some 220 people were expected on two flights overnight. 40 people arrived in the first plane. I think the thing we'd be most surprised about is, given that there are 4,000 British passport holders in Sudan, and we understand that 2,000 of those have registered to say we would like to be airlifted out, people who, Brits who have been on holiday, visiting family uh, um, over, over the last month or so and, and wanted to come home. Um, how few people have actually been got out so far? I think what we've got to uh, realise is people have to be collected, they have to mm-hmm. be processed, and there's actually a finite capacity uh, in the airport. So getting people through is the issue. They but, set up a sort of a passport and mm. uh, papers sort of re- registration system there. But still, I mean, EasyJet and Ryanair managed manage to get more people. And we are talking about huge, big transport planes, aren't we? The sort of thing that we saw going out of Kabul. Absolutely. But the capacity of the airfield itself is quite small. I think we shouldn't underestimate that this is not Heathrow. Uh, It's a sort of regional airport by our standards and the throughput is actually quite small. Um, The aircraft themselves have got to be cleared in, they've got to be protected. uh, And so as long as you can guarantee those flights being safe, you can put people on them. Right. I mean, we know that the German forces have been running this airstrip um, for recent days, mm-hmm. getting their own people out. The UK are likely to take over that at the point at which the Germans have got out all of their nationals. Um, I got lots of texts and tweets yesterday from people quite angry at me saying you're doing down the British, you're criticising the government, um, you know, uh, by saying we seem to have been pretty slow off the ground, quite literally getting people off the ground. A lot of British people feeling like they've been abandoned when other nationals were being airlifted out sooner. The diplomats being taken out. Now, we understand there was a specific terror attack well, and actually, a, you know, a bombing of the actual residence of mm. the ambassador who was back here in, in, in the UK. So they were, they were particularly being targeted and they're so understandable there. Although, again, could they not be moved to a safe house, one would wonder, while they got other Brits out. Um, is it fair to criticise the government for acting slowly or are there good reasons in terms of, say, the numbers of people we have are on nearby air bases? Like, are there reasons why we have, and it is a simple matter of fact, acted slower than other countries in the region? I think uh, you've got to assess the risk. I remember when I was involved in a similar operation uh, some time ago, uh, the politician said, look, are we going to lose more people getting them out than the people we're going to save? So they would have scoped it yeah. and said, what are the risks of putting So the risks of getting civilians to an airstrip, because, yeah. of course, in a war-torn country, presumably also the risk to our British soldiers. That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, soldiers and Marines. And uh, the fact of life is, I remember a, a Secretary of State for Defence saying, look, we're going to rescue a certain number of people. I don't want to lose more than that in getting people out. Uh, and we have to secure the area. We have to make sure the risks are containable. And uh, we've also got to look out for the possibility of hostage taking by the various factions. Yeah. Um, so once you've got control of the context, you can then throughput people. Uh, I suspect now we've got a grip on the context. We know we've got 72 hours to get people out. 
And one thing the embassy did very well, of course, is actually register people online so we know where they well, are. Well, we, we, we've got them now, but again, people were crying out for that for, mm. quite, a, for quite a long time. Mm. Um, 120 um, military personnel on the ground, we understand, on that airbase, well, the airstrip outside Khartoum. Um, there have been quite a lot of criticisms, though, again, of sort of you know, action back here in, in, in Whitehall. I, I spoke about this on air yesterday, but I had a message exchange before we went on air yesterday with a very senior figure in the Ministry of Defence, and I, and I asked if it, the Foreign Office had messed up yet again um, in Sudan, leaving the MOD to pick up the pieces again, you know, reminiscent of what happened in Kabul, where we just saw, you know, foreign secretary on a holiday, permanent secretary on a holiday, people working from home, and people just sort of clicking accept on emails from desperate people in, in Afghanistan uh, asking to be processed to get on those planes at the airport. Um, the response came back from, I guess, a very senior figure at the MOD. You might say that I couldn't possibly comment. Now, that's House of Cards, you know, Urquhart, isn't it? Um, basically saying, look, yeah, that is what's happened. The interface between the uh, political and the military is always pretty fractious uh, and frictional. The military... That was so wonderfully diplomatic. <laughs> I mean, I've been there, so <laughs> I understand it. Uh, and why, why is that? Is that because you've got... The thing about the military is, you, you know, you, you can't... I'm trying to think of a word I can say on air because I'm thinking of what it begins with B. But um, <laughs> you, you you can't pretend. You know you know the whole like you, you can you can write you can write another email and CC it to everyone. You can have another meeting and everything in lots of jobs and you, it appears that you're busy and you're getting your job done. In the military, you act, it has to be a practical outcome. You has to work. You can't you can't pretend things have worked when they haven't because people die. And so there is a there is a, a sort of reality to the work that the MOD does well, that isn't there for perhaps everyone else in civil well, service. I sat next to Margaret. Sat after the Falklands War and I thought what am I going to ask her and I said what's what's the best thing you learnt from the Falklands War I'll tell you what I learnt and she said what I learnt was when you're dealing with the military what you should do is set out what your political objectives are and then get the military to deliver those political objectives don't interfere with the military just Let tell them, them what you want this is the outcome I want you decide how to go about it yeah. um, um, in terms of Brits having to make their own way to air bases to the air base that, that's an issue isn't it back in Sudan uh, because there is this fear about losing British troops but people are saying we don't have a vehicle we don't have petrol for a vehicle we've got shortages of electricity cut off um, uh, water food uh, in Khartoum which is where the most of the fight actually is at the current time and where a lot of the, the people who are to have travelled to, to there from here have gone. Um, what are the concerns there? Because we, I have a feeling we're going to have scenes in the next couple of days. We've got three-day ceasefire. We're already on day two. The, you know, by the end of the week, we are going to have some desperate Brits still stranded, unable to have made it to that airbase. Do we have a duty of care to those people? Of course we do, if they're British citizens. Um, there's an issue of practicalities as well. And if I were on the ground now, I'd be negotiating with the various factions saying, look, you understand two things here. One is I need to get my people out. Yeah. How can we achieve that? And secondly, you really don't want me uh, uh, appearing with a lot of my troops getting involved in this situation and complicating it for you. Um, and if it's a humanitarian crisis, you're going to see a lot more European American troops. You really don't want that. And so what you've got to be able to do is negotiate uh, from strength, uh, but also you've got to understand the local context, uh, see what they want, try and deliver their objectives. Um, There's a lot of subtle negotiations. Yeah, this is this is not just a, a negotiation at the point of a gun. I was, um, I've got to be honest, I was quite shocked, 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 shocked by some of the reaction we had yesterday, some I've seen online. People saying, look, this isn't our problem, this isn't our problem. These are British people. Yeah. They have, they're British passport holders. A lot of the people 
born in this country, not even just people who come to live here, or maybe brought to live here by by Sudanese uh, immigrants who have come and they've brought their young children, but people who are born in this country, um, who are going back visiting family, in the way that we all visit family, whether you're visiting your family in Bristol or you're, or in America or in Spain or in the Sudan, if that's where your family is from. And this is a time of year in religious uh, festivals where a lot mm-hmm. of people do because people are, are off work, are able to go and visit. Um, I... I don't want to go all BBC on this. It seems to me that if it was white people going back to visit their families, there'd be a lot more concern. I think it's all down to the context, Julia, to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, as you say, the British Armed Forces are a can-do outfit. And even now on the ground, they'll be trying to save as many people as they can from yeah. the conflict that's going on. Uh, but there are limits to what you can do. If you yeah. if you put people anywhere in the world, if you put them in the middle of Zurich, uh, you'd have a problem sort of actually dealing with the locals and actually rounding people up. Oh, God, up. yes. Um, so, you know, uh, and at the end of the day, um, we've got enough backup troops in Cyprus to be able to go in and secure certain situations. Um, at the moment, we don't see the factions killing basically British passport holders. It's when that starts, then I think uh, we need to consider more serious action. OK, well, we shall keep you up to date on all developments there. We're going to be talking uh, about the illegal migration bill up next. Uh, Joe Biden uh, and, of course, also that extraordinary comment from the Bank of England chief economist, Hugh Pill, uh, on £190,000 a year, telling Brits to accept that they're worse off and stop asking for pay rises. I would love... Well, funny, Philly, you're going to respond to get your reaction on that. Uh, just tell me uh, what you think. Tweet me at Talk TV, text the word talk to 8722. We will get your messages on air. Keep them clean so I can read them out. This is Talk Breakfast. The biggest breaking news stories and outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio.